0: Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Can they hear us now? Good. (laughs) Episode 241. We're here. Combo Nation, what up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 241 of Combo's Court. And I am Combo. Stop what you're doing. You know what I'm about to say. But get it done for me, man. Get it done for me. It helps the show tremendously. Go rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button that's right go rate review and if you haven't already punch down on that subscribe button and today today we have a great one for you former zag and former nba player dan dick joins in a great conversation with dan we talk about dan's nba career skill development Gonzaga basketball and more. You could find Dan on Twitter at dandickout21. You know you could find me on Instagram at 12combo. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it.
1: Dan Dickow, former NBA player, former Zag. Welcome to Combos Court. How you feeling today?
2: Things are great. No, I appreciate uh, you asking me to join. It's always fun to talk basketball, uh, especially college, pro, uh, European, NBA, memories, all those different things.
1: Most definitely. Childhood for you. Uh, tell me your earliest basketball memories, and how did you attack skill development? I guess skill development wasn't a buzzword back then, most likely, but how did you attack it? How did you work on your game and your earliest memories? Of playing the sport. So I was
2: like most kids. I I played multiple sports. I was soccer, basketball, and baseball um, all the way up until about 12 years old. Uh, That was at that point. Soccer was the first one sport that I got rid of. Um, Baseball was the next. And baseball, a lot of people thought, you know, family and friends that that might have been my best sport. Um, But it wasn't my first love. Basketball was always my first love. I was a a 12-year-old baseball player in All-Stars And it was a difficult thing for a young kid to do, but I I made the all-star team and I told the coach, the manager, I said, hey, I'm going to miss a couple days of practice because I'm going to this basketball camp. It was the first time I really was going to be at a overnight basketball camp, something where I had four or five days set aside to just strictly do basketball. And he said, well, that's okay, but uh, you might not play a lot. And that made the decision very easy on me. And so that ended my baseball career, essentially, because uh, like I said, basketball was always the thing that I loved the most. I, I grew up in Portland until second grade. We moved to Vancouver, Washington. And I remember when I was in, we lived in Portland, I had a hoop in my basement and that would have been, you know, a, a six foot hoop for a little kid at that time. We had a hoop on our garage and we had a hoop in our backyard on our, on our, on a tree. And so I just remember clearly as a kid that I liked playing all sports, but I loved basketball. And I would always gravitate towards having a ball in my hands.
1: Let's say during your high school career, how would you specifically work on your game? And did you feel like you did it in a way different from others?
2: Yeah, you know, you mentioned in the first uh, question you asked about skills trainers. You know, that is a buzzword. It's a term. You got Instagram trainers, Twitter trainers, social media, all these things now. And there's a place for it, um, for sure, because I think a lot of them have a really solid foundation of knowledge and skill, and they're creative, and they share things in a way that really are good. But there's a part of each player has to have it on their own. They have to figure out yeah. what is important to me, what can I do to separate myself, what extra work do I need to do, what am I good at, um, but what am I not good at, and what do I need to do become better at to maybe get to where I want to be uh and I think that's something from a young age that I always you know I I loved spending the time and I had no issues or no problems going out in my driveway and left hand inside outs to left hand finishes for 10 15 20 minutes before I did the other stuff before my neighbors came over and we played one-on-one or two-on-two three-on-three whatever it may be I did have a uh I don't want to call him a trainer. Um, there was there was a kind of an individual coach who did some workouts that I would uh, kind of have maybe once a month is all, literally once a month. He'd yeah. come to an occasional game. He'd look at, uh, we'd go through a workout or two, but then it was all on me to figure out the comments that were made between him and my high school coach, my AAU coach, uh, what I needed to work on. Um, and I was lucky in, in high school in the fact that there was a couple other really good players in the area in Vancouver, Washington. Richie Fromm, who's a name that, um, if you really follow basketball, you might remember. He was part of the initial ninety-nine Gonzaga Elite Eight team. Played in okay. Europe for a while. He played, uh, I want to say, three years in the NBA with a couple different teams. He was. He and I were. Uh, we went to rival high schools, and we essentially were workout partners from the start. Like we would work out all the time in an athletic club called Club Green Meadows in Vancouver um him being a shooter me being more of a point guard we kind of pushed each other to to expand our game and and to get better at different things but we would work out together but then we would also work out separately where I'd be on one end of the floor like okay what's he doing down there that's different or more intense and I know it was happening vice versa where he was looking down at the other end of the court seeing what I was doing And and it really pushed the both of us uh to become better players
1: yeah, I don't want to stay too long on skill development, but I did watch, I was watching your highlights in the league and stuff. A lot of different finishes. Is that something you were working on? Because I felt like you had that before many, because you know, now we see all the guys have like left foot, right foot, left hand, right hand. But you were doing that pretty early. Like you had floaters, different finishes all around the lane.
2: Yeah, it was something that I was all, I always knew I was going to be a, a small. And yeah. I was athletic, but not an athletic in the way that you're finishing above the rim and, and finishing through contact. So I always had to be creative with, with my workout drills, uh, and my finishing drills. And in, in, in particular, I always felt, as I mentioned, I would work on my left-hand pound inside outs, go to left-hand, right. Finish. right. So even from a young age, I could finish with my offhand and go to my offhand. Um, but as I continue to get older in high school and then in college, you know, you, you start putting together kind of more of a, Hey, this finish, I got to get better at this. I need to be deceptive deceptive in this way to be able to finish over bigger guys or stronger guys or I have to be able to look off the help side defense as they converge for a shot block um, to be able to get a finish off and so those things started to work on um, and, and really became a, a focus of a lot of
1: workouts okay I want to take it to Gonzaga um, a lot of great point guards in the history of Gonzaga starting with John Stockton what do you feel his effect has been on the program? And are you surprised by the evolution of the program from Cinderella to Goliath?
2: You know, John still has an impact on the program to this day. Um, oddly enough, I'll see him probably in, in, in about an hour and a half, uh, okay. at kind of an open run where he kind of has some guys in the Spokane area uh, go play pickup. And, you know, it, it's kind of one of those things where coach few has been the architect Um, you know, and then the driving force of the program, getting to the level where it was after Monson and Fitzgerald kind of started things off, but John's kind of been that kind of guy behind the scenes that, you know, guys look to, they want his approval. They want to be able to learn from him. They want to be able to, uh, you know, be able to talk basketball in the gym when they get a chance to see him and he's available to guys. Um, and he was absolutely available to me. He was somebody that that was a role model to me before I even got to Gonzaga. I was I was a kid in the Portland area that knew I wasn't going to be very big, and I looked up to a couple different players. Michael Jordan, as every kid my age loved Michael Jordan. I was right. a Portland, Portland area kid, so I loved Clyde Drexler, Terry Porter, Jerome Kersey. Uh, Chris Mullen because he could shoot it. But then the two other guards that I really looked up to were Mark Price and John Stockton because I looked at – hey, when I'm, a, when I'm big, I'm going to be about their size. I need to look at what they do. I need to be able to handle the ball, make decisions, shoot it, be great in pick and rolls. Uh, and so I kind of always looked up to John. And then when I got to GU, I, I had a chance to, to you know get to meet him, get to know him, work out with him, play open gym with him. And, and oddly enough, all these late, years later, I'm, I'm, I like to consider myself good friends with
1: him. Most definitely. You mentioned Mark Few. What did you learn from Mark Few while you were playing? And what have you learned from Mark Few about work-life balance?
2: You know, Coach Few, uh, when I decided to transfer from University of Washington to Gonzaga, he was the assistant coach that was kind of the one that was going to take over if Monson uh, left. Oddly enough, about a month later, uh, Monson left for Minnesota, and and all the guys uh, were very comfortable with Coach Few taking over. And I was, you know, excited to, to, you know, play under Coach Few. And, you know, I think the biggest thing that he brought out of me was the the competitiveness, the uh, attention to detail, and and not overlooking things that needed to be done. You know, when I was at University of Washington, I, I had a nice start to my college career, but some injuries hampered my development, and I, I was looking for something new, and, and Gonzaga was the place. And Coach Few was very clear like hey look I saw you play in high school many times AAU in high school because he recruited and he had my AAU teammates like Calvary and, and Richie Framo. I mentioned Zach Gord was a high school teammate he, he had seen me plenty he he knew that um, I needed a fresh start I'm, I'm sure he felt I needed a fresh start as did I and it worked out really well because the things that he said to me early on my redshirt year was you we need to bring that toughness out of you that I saw in high school. We need to bring that competitiveness out of you that we saw in high school. And I don't care how many turnovers my point guards have. I don't care how, you know, they might lack things here or there. What I care about for my point guards is win-loss. And so that really freed me up to go back and play with confidence and play free the way that I did in AAU and in high school in being a scoring point guard. And once you earn his trust to do that in practice, then you can translate it to games. Uh, you're able to play with a ton of confidence. And that was the case with me. You know, and I think with the work-life balance that you mentioned, Coach view is as good as they are at college basketball at the coaching level of understanding, look, you've got X amount of time to be on the floor. Let's get as good as we can in that amount of time. And there's no point in dragging it from off the floor or excuse me, on the floor to off the floor and letting that Im- impact everything else in your life.
1: Most definitely, most definitely. I think young players have to realize, like obviously the the young players that are obsessive, they're always in the gym, but sometimes it's more important to get in there for an hour and do something great instead of being there for like 10 hours, just lollygagging around, you know?
2: 100%, you know, and that that is something that I always looked at with my workouts. Uh, I'd rather be in there for, you know, 45 minutes, an hour, 100%. hour and a half if need be, and getting focused, detailed, intense work, as opposed to as you mentioned, the hours—you know, five, six hours. I'll look at—I I remember conversations I had with guys when I was playing. Hey, I was in the gym, you know, three times yesterday. For wow, it's like, <laughs> but what did you get done? Like, yeah, where did you recover? Where did you recoup? Where did you allow your mind to rest from the game of basketball so that the next workout's fresh? Uh, I think that's a big thing. The quantity of hours is not necessarily more important than the quality i've always felt the quality of hours in your workout is much more important than the quantity because if you if you're basing your work ethic on the amount of hours you're just going to go to the gym and you're going to go half speed and you're going to lollygag as opposed to getting better and at the end of the day it's about getting better in my opinion
1: most definitely Uh, i want to get to overseas basketball but we can't skip over the NBA. I mean, you know, it's the best league in the world, right? Yeah. Um, I wanted to get to overseas basketball because I played overseas. I wanted to hear your thoughts, your craziest story, because I've heard you ask other people that, so I wanted to ask you that. Yeah. But in terms of the NBA, what do you make of your career looking back? Do you feel people look at you like they remember your Zag career more than your NBA career at this point?
2: I would think so. You know, yeah. I, I was somebody who, uh, you know, I now that I do college basketball analyst work, uh, yeah, and I've done I, I, I've done a couple things with the NBA as far as a, an appearance or two NBA TV studios. I did a few things for the, the Blazers years ago when I was breaking into to the broadcast side. But, you know, my written name absolutely resonates more on the college side than in the NBA because I had more success, you know,
1: first team All-American. But it wasn't the, a cup. Of, it wasn't a cup of coffee in the league either. So no, you're right.
2: I mean yeah, six years, You know, yeah, exactly. Day, you know, I think the average career is two and a half years. And right. I was able to carve out six years. And at my size, uh, you know, I'm very proud of that fact. And and I and I I I very I'm I'm aware of, of what I accomplished, but I also don't rest on that either. Um, right. You know, right. That, um, you know, it's one of those things I take a lot of pride in. Um, but I do think, you know the things that I accomplished in college uh, were, were more recognizable. And a lot of it is because when you're the ninth, 10th, 11th man in the NBA, which I was most of my career, as opposed to the one year I really got to play in New Orleans, um, you, you're easy to be, I guess, indispensable
1: uh, or dispensable,
2: yeah. where you can be yeah. traded or fans forget about you quickly.
1: Talk about dispensable. You could be great overseas and still be dispensable, right? Tell me, tell me about Tell me about your craziest overseas story that you could share with that you could share yeah. with us here on a podcast. And not only that, we could keep the NBA involved as well. What was it like transitioning to your game to the NBA and then also to the overseas level? Because I remember when I first got overseas you know, they had the trapezoid lane. It was a funky three-point line. You know, if you tried some stuff in transition, they'd call weird travels on you. They'd foul you in transition. You couldn't even dribble the ball up. But tell me your transition to the NBA and overseas and how you had to adjust.
2: Yeah, I think the NBA for for most Americans is a I don't want to say an easy transition, but you've watched the game your whole life. And so you yeah. know what to expect with foul calls, with with game prep and, and knowing the guys. When you go to Europe, it's completely new. Uh, very rarely do you understand the game and how it's called. I remember, so I, I signed a two-year contract with Avellino in Italy, uh, just outside Naples. And the reason I signed there is because they had just moved to the League, And that was the selling point to me. Like, yeah. hey, I'm going to be on a League team for two years. I want to do that play at the highest level. Yep. Um, you know, I remember, and I only lasted about six weeks because I had some injuries, and both sides realized it, it wasn't a good fit. Um, but I remember it, there, was a, there was a scrimmage we had early in our training camp, and, like, I was ultra aggressive. I think I took 20-some shots, which is something I never did in the NBA. And I remember – I took 20 shots. I think I got called for like seven travels that day because it happened to me before the ball has true, to be the ball has to be on the ground before your back, your pivot foot leaves the floor. The officials call it unbelievable. So that was an adjustment rules wise. And then the, the, the style of play, like, Hey, your point guard's not taking 20 shots in Europe. That That kind of had to get tailored back pretty quickly, but it was frustrating because I was like, these are good shots. Like they're open shots. I just didn't knock them down. I didn't make them for whatever reason. But the game is different. It, it's it's more of a team game as opposed to a an individual game. There's nothing wrong with it. It just – it is what it is. You know, they're used to, you know, uh, football or what we call, you know, soccer over here in the States. Big soccer,
1: big soccer influence on the way they play basketball, even yeah, the way they just, rolled around after an injury. And it's not even yeah. really that bad of an injury.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah.
1: kind of the way it is.
2: So, yeah. you know, that was an adjustment. I think a, a story that I have, you know, my second stint in Europe – I went to Germany – and I played really well for, for Bomberg in the, in the BBL. Um, but the team had injuries left and right. Uh, and so I think I played maybe 12 games or so. Cause I went, I want to say in January and then I got hurt and then our entire family got sick. And it was kind of one of those things where like, it, it just, it, it was time to be done. It was, you know, I couldn't yeah. get healthy and the team wanted me to play and I wasn't ready. And our family was sick and we were, we were, homesick because of everybody being sick. And so we kind of came to an agreement and arrangement like, okay, you know what? Uh, You're going to go home in in three days. You know, the contract's terminated. Um, If you want, come to this last game. Obviously, I'm not going to play, you know, which is no big deal. But I decided to go to the game, right? And I'm not playing, so I walk into the locker room. The dudes had already taken my gear. Like, my shoes were gone out of my locker. One of the teammates had it uh my my sweatshirt my all this other stuff I'm like I haven't been gone 24 hours like literally we just figured this out I came to the game and they took my gear it was it was interesting
1: yeah it's like well because overseas it's a rotating door obviously there's some guys that stay with the same team but for the most part I mean you see that most players bump around from team to team even if they have a long overseas career dad oh we got to get to current Gonzaga basketball before we get you out of here what have you made of Corey and Jalen's play this year how do you think their games will translate to the NBA level? Are is there anybody else on Gonzaga that you think will be a good NBA player? And how do you think Baylor and Gonzaga will match up before we get out of here?
2: Yeah, first I'll start with the the Baylor Gonzaga matchup. I I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that both teams uh, end up undefeated right. in the title game. I I think uh, with everything that's happened in, in the world uh, with COVID and in college basketball, it would be great to have something really uh, epic to look forward to at the end of the year. And it it would be, it would be great to see. Uh, You know, I think when you mentioned Suggs and Kispert in their NBA prospects, Kispert's a perfect example of uh, a Gonzaga player, just buying in and improving over the course of his years and maximizing his talent. He's an absolute NBA player now. Um, Whether he goes lottery, which is starting to become mentioned, or he's just a, a late first round pick, Uh, I think he will have a nice NBA career and it could be a really good NBA career if the right organization picks him. I think that's what uh, is the determining factor for a lot of guys. Is there fit early in their career? Do they have a veteran to show them the ropes? Is there a strong organization where maybe a guy can come in and and have success early um, as opposed to kind of struggle to find their way? And then as far as Suggs, you know, he started off unbelievably good this year you know he's been talked as a potential top five maybe even you know top three pick Uh, he's gone through some bumps and bruises during during league play but he played really well the other night I think what you look at with him is his athleticism uh, and and his his competitiveness at the point guard level combined with his skills makes you really really excited to see what he can do at that next level because I think you know the the freedom and the openness of the NBA game is going to be 100%. better suited for him than kind of the condensed uh,
1: packet in defense
2: that you see quite a bit.
1: How does that look though, Gonzaga Baylor? How does that look? Who wins? Who who has the advantage?
2: You know, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to give it to you straight. I'm gonna take Gonzaga as much as I like Baylor. Jared Butler, uh, you know, I think there's a short list for Player of the Year this year. I think it's Jared Butler, Garza, and Kispert, um, and. Yeah. Jared Butler is as good a guard as you're going to find in the league. Um, so Gonzaga will have some issues with him uh, because he is so good. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I think Gonzaga's offense is that good. I think Baylor's defense is good enough to slow him down. Um, but I'm going to have to go Gonzaga. I think they're going to be the first undefeated team since Indiana, wow. what, in the 70s.
1: Yep, Dan, great stuff. Where can we find you? I know you have multiple podcasts you got going on. Where can we find you there and where can we find you on social media?
2: So social media, Dan 21. Uh, I believe Instagram is the same thing. And then, yeah, you're right. I've got two different podcasts, one for uh, a company I work for called SB live sports called the ISO um, check it out. Uh, we've got guests from, you know, Jamal Crawford, Karam Butler in the NBA to college coaches like Mark few Wayne Tinkle, uh, Travis DeCure, Lon Kruger. Uh, Eric Musselman. um, So that's a great one. And then if you're focused more on Gonzaga stuff, uh, the field of 68 network, I've got the bulldog broadcast where I'm actually going to be interviewing Corey Kispert later today, um, where we'll be releasing that one probably tomorrow. Sounds great. Dan, you're always welcome
1: back on the show. Talk soon.
2: Awesome. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I I enjoy talking hoops and, and it's interesting when you talk about or you ask questions about European experiences, because sounds like you've lived it, you've experienced it and you
0: understand it. Thanks again. Take care. Anytime combo nation. There it was another episode of combos court is in the books. Thank you to everyone who tunes into combos court across the globe and big shouts to Dan for joining in. We appreciate you combo nation. Don't forget to rate review. And if you haven't already punch, down on that subscribe button also if you have instagram take a screenshot of this episode post it on your ig stories tag me at one two combo that's O N E T W O i i'll share it and be on the lookout for episode two four two combo out